Why Are UFOs Top Secret? With expert Bob Bria. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And people from other places. Yes, all places. Uh, We had a busy week. Uh, Both of us have been uh, occupied by a lot of things. My friend is uh, getting ready to move into a new home in in another state. So he's he's very busy getting ready to uh, make the big move. So uh, he's... uh, pretty pretty occupied with that me i've been occupied with my uh, my health this week and uh, had some good news from my doctor he told me that i can drive my car soon so because uh, he gave me mobility back i'm i'm a happy man yes <laughs> yeah i've been stuck home and with a bicycle <laughs> uh, getting a lot of exercise and saving a lot of money on the uh, on the gasoline too hey and you know um, working on those thighs it's one of the good things i've heard from the president buy a bicycle Oh, say, yeah? Can't go nowhere, but uh, <laughs> at least you can save money. Okay. I, I'd, I'd love to see the expressway full of bicycles, people <laughs> going to work. Today is the first week uh, of uh, June, and uh, I think we're going we're gonna to focus uh, this, this month uh, off and on about the, uh, the two cases that uh, revolutionized this uh, subject. And uh, tonight's episode, we're going to focus uh, in the beginning on the Kenneth Arnold sighting. Very famous uh, sighting that took place on the 24th of June, 1947. And uh, because of this sighting uh, and the consequences of the uh, interviews that took place with the reporters when he landed, um, this created the words flying saucers. And uh, the name was so catchy, it it stuck and uh, became... uh, quite a, a, a used word in the press, and it also drew a lot of attention to the, uh, the sky. And uh, <clears throat> his sighting was um, responsible for the... Uh, that phrase. Huh? For, for that phrase, which was uh, so, so commonly used uh, at that time, uh, right before the Roswell case, which was only uh, two weeks later. And um, hmm. Kenneth Arnold was a, uh, a pilot of, um, how would you say, uh, not just the average pilot who had an airplane, but he was involved with um, rescue operations, and uh, he was a federal marshal. And uh, his, oh, wow. his I see those are and those are things that you don't get from yeah right most of the, most of the coverage of this topic. Yeah, the Kenneth Arnold story gets uh, very little coverage on his background and uh, who he was. And uh, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, it, it just plays it down. But uh, he was uh, due to stop at uh, Yakima uh, Airport en route. But first he was taking an hour-long detour to search for a missing aircraft. It was a U.S. Marine Curtis 46 commando transport plane that had gone down somewhere in the mountains. Hmm. And as a search and rescue flyer and deputy federal marshal, it was his duty to keep a lookout for signs of an accident. He was quite willing to go out of his way to help fellow aeronauts who might be in trouble. Besides this, it was such a beautiful day to to be at one with the elements. Sadly, Kenneth Arnold never found the missing craft, but he did find the greatest puzzle of the 20th century. It was approaching 3 p.m. as the pilot cruised through the crystal clear skies at just over 28, uh, at uh, just a little over 9,000 feet. Suddenly, a bright flash glinted on his canopy. The strong sunlight was reflecting off something far in the distance, which was heading very rapidly south. He guessed that it had to be at least 
18 and a half miles away. Concentrating now on that thing in the sky, it was ob obvious that this was not one single object, but a, a line of flat, flattened crescent-shaped disks. Hmm. There seemed to be nine of them in a formation, not unlike that of a flock of flying geese. They were linked together almost uh, in a magical fashion, yet ducked and bobbed and then rose as they moved. It was this sudden dipping which made them catch the sun and flash very brightly. Later, Arnold said of these objects that they were flat like a pie pan and so shiny that they reflected the sun rays like a mirror. He was naturally very surprised. In an interview with the famous American radio journalist Edward R. Murrow on April 7, 1950, Arnold added, quote, I was baffled by the fact that they did not have any tails. I judged their wingspan to be at least 30, uh, at least 100 feet. Their sighting did not particularly disturb me at the time, except that I had never seen planes of that type. <laughs> it was certainly a mystery to this experienced pilot. He told Edward R. Murrow, I could never understand why the world got so upset by nine discs, as these things don't seem to be a menace. I believe that they had something to do with their army and air force, even so they even though they had no tails and no wings, they were totally unlike anything had ever he had ever witnessed before. <laughs> Using his skills at navigation, he timed their flight against the two peaks, whose distance apart he could later measure. Mm -hmm. Gauging the speed from his cockpit clock, he worked out something utterly incredible. They were moving well in excess of 1,000 miles per hour, and in 1947, that outdid everything any man-made plane could achieve. <laughs> he began to wonder... Not only if these were secret weapons, but also if they were of this earth. When he landed Yakima Airport, he told some friends about what he had happened. And later he flew on to Pendleton, a small airfield just over the border into Oregon. And upon arrival, he was greeted by a posse of journalists eager to learn more. Arnold had no idea of the monster he had just unleashed onto the world. <laughs> of course, free publicity would not harm his business potential. Selling firefighting equipment was a lucrative field, and a few critics did question his motives. Indeed, it did seem curious that other pilots from Boise began to see UFOs also, and Arnold himself claimed other sightings. <laughs> Nevertheless, he insisted, he insisted that his observations over Mount Rainier were not a stunt, and he retained his passionate interest in the subject until his death in 1984. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, yeah let's, go, uh, let's go find this guy that saw this thing. Hey, we'll just pick up some fireman gear while we're at it. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess, I guess it would make people seek him out or something, but, you know. Yeah, there's always those pot shots and. Of course, there's anybody that wants to go after uh, something and just make a, a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. Attempts to dent, dent their armor or discredit or to deflect. Mm -hmm. yeah. Quite why why the story spread as as it did, nobody fully understands. Perhaps the world needed an antidote after the horrors of war. Arnold did tell. The adventure in graphic detail and use words that were tailor-made for the posterity. In fact, there was a minor misunderstanding that created the, the name by which we now know the phenomenon. He had explained to newsmen that the objects he saw had skipped through the atmosphere in the same way as you might cast a saucer across a pool of calm water and make it bounce as many times as you can. 
He had not claimed that the craft were saucer-shaped, but the name Flying Saucers was immediately invented. It was a priceless tagline for, a, for this wonderful tale. The media used it well and encouraged other observ- observers to come forward. But, I mean, that is what it looks like. Like, if you took two, you know, mm-hmm. saucers and inverted, you know, one on top, you just turn one upside down and place it on top of the other one. Mm-hmm. You basically have all of these, the images and even the photographs and the, the, the images people have drawn. And, you know, it does, it, that does make the shape. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and also when we have, we have a statement here uh, within, within this uh, chapter, which was published uh, by the FBI intelligence study group. And it says, quote, this flying saucer situation is not all imaginary or seeing too much in some natural phenomenon. Something is really flying around. And that is based on this FBI intelligence report, which comes uh, on a detailed analysis of the Kenneth Arnold case and 15 other UFO encounters reported during the first month of the flying saucer mystery declassified in 1976 by the American Freedom of Information Act. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's our friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the Kenneth Arnold sighting was was causing a lot of, um, uh, how would you say, controversy and uh, questions were being raised. and, And then all of a sudden... We have this uh, object that allegedly crashes in uh, the New Mexico desert, and uh, a military man picks up the equipment and debris and r- brings it back to his military base. And uh, oddly enough, this uh, debris, which was said to be a disc recovered by the United States Army, and it's imprinted on the uh, the very sweatshirt that I have in my in my house, and uh, that was in that Walter Winchell uh, broadcast too. Wasn't yeah, it? That was exactly. The whole, that, that, that whole night summarizes. Once, well, uh, I mean, so basically, that proves that at least it was reported originally that they had they had in their possession an a UFO. Yeah, well, they for, were for about two days or one day or something, right? And then, then, then the, the excuses, the other, the alternate excuse was put up. The the very day that that Jesse Marcel returned the equipment or the debris to the to the military base, the information went out pretty quickly, within mm-hmm. a day, with maybe twenty four hours, that the. Uh, the, 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 the debris that he had retrieved from the desert was a weather balloon. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of the cover-up, which they've been keeping this going all these years later. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But it was, I believe, was it ABC Radio or CBS Radio? I don't remember which one was around at the time. What? Uh, that reported that where Walter Winchell was on. And, um, you know, that was the journalism of the day, was that they had in their possession a UFO. Yeah, and until further, uh, you know, information would be uh, gathered, and they would hold this uh, information back. So they wouldn't really talk too much about it. They just uh, removed it from the area and brought it to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for further analysis. That's what they said. Yeah. And uh, from there, I mean, uh, it, it's kind of comical that uh, they would bring a weather balloon to Wright-Patterson for analysis, that they they wouldn't know that it's a, uh, a weather balloon right away. I mean, good, Very good point. It's a very good point right there because, <laughs> you know, they reported it one way and then, you know, the follow-up was almost like uh, – uh, I'm not going to get into politics anyway. Well, the whole the whole controversy between the Kenneth Arnold sighting is that these objects were being seen, okay, and uh, because the the pilot reported these things to the press, 
doesn't mean that these uh, discs uh, or these sightings weren't being made earlier in uh, previous years during the war. Uh, the name Foo Fighters was attributed to these unidentified objects that were following the uh, military operations during the war. And both, both sides reported these, these things, as they called them, and uh, the word Foo Fighter was uh, applied to them. And, and today we have a, a rock band that uses that very word. And uh, I know for a fact that uh, these objects were being observed and they were reported to their superiors. So because they had no identification on these objects, they, they just kept an eye on them. So... When, when Kenneth Arnold spotted nine of them, that really <laughs> raised a lot of eyebrows in the government because uh, they knew something was up. And uh, that's why the, uh, the chapter title on that uh, book I'm reading to you about the Kenneth Arnold says, says the, uh, the UFOs arrive in 1947. And this is due to the snoopiness that they've been carrying on with American weaponry and uh, the fact that the Roswell crash took place so close to the, uh, the plane that was used during the atomic uh, bomb in Hiroshima and uh, the, the secrecy that was... Uh, surrounding this crash was was listed as almost paranoid listing and their uh, secrecy level was really <laughs> they were really confused because if these things weren't Soviet they had to be you know from outer space and it was it was taking a, a lot of effort to persuade some of the military uh, generals that they actually were dealing with a, a threat from outer space. So when the crash occurred two weeks after the Con Kenneth Arnold sighting, which we're going to talk about more as the uh, as July approaches, which is going to be the 75th anniversary of this uh, spectacular event mm -hmm. of these objects, the coming to uh, planet and uh, keeping an eye on uh, us and what we're doing over here, whether we're doing it in, uh, <laughs> we're doing it for our, our protection or we're doing it to protect ourselves from somebody else. But uh, I've, I've touched on the, uh, the topic of uh, protecting the planet Earth from outside, you know, enemies. And after the Roswell crash, the, the last three or four months of 1947, we had the creation of the National Security Act and the, the reformation of the Central Intelligence Agency and the reformation of the United Arms Air Force was changed into the United States Air Force. Here's some Air Force music for you. <laughs> oh, is that from I Top found, Gun? I found the Walter Wentz thing. Oh, yeah, my, my partner just pulled up the Wait, Walter Winchell that piece. That not be the right one. I don't think that's the right one. Wait, you know, I, 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 I'll let you know. I'm going to have in a second. got to find the right one. <laughs> So, so when when the object crashed and and uh, all these different things occurred in the end of 1947, it seems too coincidental that uh, the, that the United States would have to form an an act called the National Security Act, which would somehow uh, have some precedent in our uh, our Constitution and. Uh, the words national security are very um, important. Um, and when these words are applied to a program, they carry a lot of weight. And um, 
during the war, the Manhattan Project was one of those uh, topics that had a considerable amount of uh, secrecy. And uh, the protection of that information that was being kept secret was pretty uh, pretty held in, in uh, you know, in, in security. I mean, the, there was no breaks in it. Otherwise, everybody would have known about it. And the few people that did uh, reveal information about the atomic bombs construction uh, were the Eisenbergs, or the Rosenbergs, I think they were. were the Rosenbergs, yes. They were executed for espionage. And uh, it, it just shows you how important uh, the need to protect uh, t topics that are put into the uh, national security uh, drawer. And uh, UFOs were immediately put into this category of national security. And uh, it supersedes Congress's uh, ability to control what has to be done under the, the rules of the National Security Act. And, and don't forget the National Security Act has a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, fingers, I call them. You know, we have the National Security Agency, we have the National Security Council, we have the we have the uh, UN, and uh, many other agencies that are affiliated with the with the duties of the National Security Act, which are carried out at the Pentagon and the Department of Defense, and. Uh, the, the threat that these objects posed <coughs> excuse me the threat that these objects allegedly posed to the United States um, was um, not obvious but the fact that they were snooping around our our Atomic, atomic energy plants and places that we, we carried these missiles made it a, a, a very important matter. And um, national security could have actually superseded the Constitution. And because we have a, uh, a two-party system, once it, one party may have information that doesn't share total information with the other party, and that, that could be a problem. Uh, during the early days uh, of the crash, we had uh, the Democrats in charge of this uh, problem. And uh, as the Majestic 12 documents reveal... In the Eisenhower briefing papers, uh, it did not appear that um, the Eisenhower administration was in favor of um, keeping this information from the public. And the Eisenhower administration were, as, as we all know, were Republicans. Mm -hmm. So we have a disagreement, and uh, there's also information uh, that I've come across that uh, Truman had tried to uh, change uh, Eisenhower's mind on, on which party he would be uh, associated with, but uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't fall for it. And during his uh, final days in office, he, he made comments about this military-industrial complex, which he saw as a, a big, a big problem. And uh, he made such a, a, a amount of emphasis on it that it was a problem. That um, he he didn't uh, really break any uh, oaths that he may have known that could cover this subject in more detail. 
But uh, when um, Ronald Reagan took office, and he was a Republican, he took a, a big interest in this subject. So we, I focused on that in previous episodes. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it is amazing how one party uh, knows one thing and some some information, and another party knows a little bit. And we touched on the uh, the the Hillary uh, interest in this subject, and uh, Bill and Hillary were quite interested in this subject, and they pushed hard. They pushed hard, and they're Democrats, you know, and uh, they uh, they had access to people that had information that uh, they felt was uh, was worthy of sharing with the public. But I guess the people on uh, the top. Maybe uh, members of the uh, Majestic 12 uh, didn't agree with that. So uh, possibility that uh, she didn't win the election because of uh, Donald Trump. It could be <laughs> because somebody else didn't favor her bringing this information to public, public light. You know. We have stories on uh, Jimmy Carter also, which I've, I've gone into. He wanted to also reveal this information to the public, and he was a Democrat, and yet somebody didn't want him to be talking about it, and he was stifled. So there is a, a, a deep interest in, in keeping this subject from the public's uh, discussion, you know, whether it's... Uh, it could be like a breaking news, for example. Headline edition, July 8th, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Late this afternoon, a bulletin from New Mexico suggested that the widely publicized mystery of the flying saucers may soon be solved. Yeah, yeah that last started. that last statement was the beginning of the uh, the cover up. Well, you got to have the cover up. That's part of the proof. I'm, I'm sure that <laughs> the uh, I'm sure the Pentagon had a nice direct uh, telephone to uh, Walter Walter Winchell's uh, office uh, because the the story went from a positive statement to a, a misinformation, and uh, or he got a little. You know, grab on the back of his collar and said, listen. Yeah, they read him the riot act. Are you a scientist? Uh, No. So it was a weather balloon, right? Do you want to keep your job (laughs) or do you want to lose it? (laughs) You never know. Yeah. Something. Yeah, bullets The report changed and uh, the information that he got changed and inquiries into the Army were were basically unanswered. Mm Mm-hmm. And stories were not corroborated from the first day. So, well, because because of all the confusion that was taking place between the last two weeks in June and the, and the few the first few weeks of July is when all the uh, the as they say quote hit the fan hmm. when the stuff hit the fan all, all the weather balloon hit the fan we'll yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, be, because of the the uh, genuine amazement at what had happened, and the fact that they had to find out immediately what this stuff was all about, they had to immediately bring it to a place or places uh, that would uh, experiment on this stuff and find out what this stuff is made of and. And how we could integrate it into our military um, usage, mm-hmm. and uh, this is one of the main uh, reasons for uh, total, you know, secrecy. Uh, and you can't and you can't blame the United can't States for doing that. I mean, we want to take advantage of any uh, any uh, gains that we can make in uh, succeeding our enemies. And, and for this object to have fallen into our hands, maybe first, before the Soviets got their hands on one of these objects, uh, seems to be in our favor that, that because of our complete secrecy on this object, uh, that um, the information that uh, our government has uh, shown on the Soviets' awareness, uh, they, they didn't seem to have... 
uh, their hands on an object at that time in the, in July of 47. They may have come across an object uh, in the near future, but at that time it doesn't seem like they had their hands on anything that, uh, that we would be uh, thinking was uh, a UFO. So the fact that we had the, the, the jump on it gave us the, uh, the, the, the biggest uh, leap that uh, uh, the United States could ever have or ever hope for. Interestingly, too, um, the sighting that he had, you know, he reported a crescent shaped. And, you you know, when you think about it, it um, the saucer shape, right, uh, the, the round disc shape has been reported so many times everywhere, you know, whether that's been copycatted or its original sightings is up. <laughs> yeah, up the pilots, the, the, but the pilots that are in the beginning of uh, the beginning of our be podcast. Uh, and um, but anyways, uh, you know, in him seeing the reflection of the light and everything, it may have appeared to be a crescent or the part he could see was the shape of a crescent because he wasn't aware that it was probably a full around disc. You know? Mm hmm. So but, you see a lot of the images of that time and the reports of that time showing the crescent type, almost like a bat shape or a, mm -hmm. you know, the, the triangle with the tail kind of thing. <laughs> but we've all seen the way uh, birds fly in in a tight formation, and and a lot of times I'm I myself I'm amazed how they do that. They they stay equidistant to each other. It's almost yeah, like there. The, this is actually the picture that he drew. It's that it was part of, I think, that the 1976 foyer release you were talking about. So um, it's almost a circle with almost with with a, 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 like clipping two little parts off and making a little pointy tail or something. On um, you know, kind of mm. like what mm. would you call it? Like a a, a semi hexagon with a rounded side, <laughs> a fin or something. Yeah, it almost looks like a. a uh, I don't know what to compare that to shape-wise. A stop sign that's half round and half hexagon. <laughs> he he says in in the uh, in the chapter that I had read before that uh, he tried to turn his plane with his window open so that he can get a direct view without the light bouncing off of his uh, cockpit window, and uh, he was able to do that, and he still saw the. Uh, the objects uh, reflecting, reflecting the light. Yeah, and, and all of this jives with what the Pentagon released, those couple of clips, you know, that little spinning, um, that little spinning disc, silvery-looking disc thing mm -hmm. that was kind of spinning on its axis, like when you were reading that part about how it was reflecting, and he, he, he said they would, there were nine of them that looked like they were locked together, but then they would they would dip, dip and, and they would bob and probably, and probably down, spinning yeah. on their yeah. axis, like like we've seen in the Pentagon video release. Yeah, I mean, you know, to think that this something from 1947 is jiving from what they're finally releasing today, <laughs> you know, 80 years later. <laughs> wow. Well, it, and it, and it's and it's so like I I I keep reiterating the the importance of those those few weeks between the end of June. And the, it's, and the it's middle the of July right. <laughs> it gave, gave them so much uh, like um, excitement. And uh, when uh, when I read what uh, what I think is uh, statements from people that were in the know and had uh, received um, confirmation of the stuff being brought to locations in Nevada, for uh, exploration, uh, you know, it turns out that at the end of December in 1947, the development of the transistor came out. Yeah, and, this, my, and this, they say, was one of the first items. I, I think I need one in my head for the math. It's the 75th year anniversary that's this year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 80, but I round it up, you know. All right. You're only five years old, yeah. <laughs> So the uh, the transistor was developed and at the last uh, at the end of 1947, and they say this is one of the first back engineered uh, revolutionary uh, uh, pieces of technology that was able to uh, literally change modern uh, electronics. Excuse me, did you say back engineered? 
They back-engineered this. Excuse me, the, there was evidence that that put out in some of the documents and it says back-engineered. Key word, back-engineered, right? <laughs> As a result of the, yeah, that, that's what, whatever was on that craft. Mm-hmm. The transistor was uh, was something associated with that craft. Yeah, you mentioned fiber optics before. So yeah, another one. and Velcro, too. Mm-hmm. Of all the substances that were on the clothing that was ripped off their bodies. I'd like they, to personally thank um, all of you aliens out there who had a hand in inventing Velcro because it gives me great pleasure. Thank you. Yes, America made a lot of money off of that. <laughs> <laughs> I just love. It. I love it. I love the stuff. It's yeah. Some of that stuff, you know, they use it on the uh, on the windshield for your um, your when you go over the tunnel, you go over the bridge. You know, they have a little thing you stick on your windshield, mm-hmm. and there's two little plastic Velcro pieces that are yeah. Those those are super Velcro. <laughs> Those those oh, are like, those are like so gorilla, strong. Gorilla tape or whatever. Yeah, it's like that alien tape. Oh, alien tape. Yeah, how could I get that one wrong? <laughs> Some of that stuff is really unbelievable, and all you have to do is turn it, and it separates its its uh, suction. <laughs> that alien tape. Once you place it on onto sub, a substance, you don't have to pull. You just turn it. You turn whatever the thing is that that's holding on the tape. You just turn it and, and it breaks the, 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 the lock, locking mechanism of the tape. It's, it's, a, it's a quite amazing thing. Wasn't this, and that was from their suits, the space suits. Yeah, they uh, said when they took the, off the, the material from it started to rip and they heard the sound. And it turns out that that was Velcro. That's mentioned in The Day After Roswell mm-hmm. by uh, Philip Corso. Yeah, that's right. We covered that. Um, <clears throat> the fiber optics were, were an amazing uh, find because when you, when you first looked at it, you know, it looks just like a bunch of what I, I call the plastic spaghetti. I used to call it, but uh, when I first saw it, I was at the World's Fair, and they had a, a pen with the fiber optics sticking out of the back of the pen, and the pen, it was a, you know, usable pen, but it had like a brush effect, the fiber optics. There was like maybe a hundred of them together in, in a bunch and when you turned on the, the, the button on the pen, light <clears throat> would be emitted onto those fiber optic pieces, and they would be different colors, mm-hmm. red and blue. Remember that? Uh, oh, the yeah. way the light would pass no, through I, the... My grandmother had she <laughs> collected those things. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> yeah, and it basically doesn't look like anything super-duper, but yet, it's uh, the way it uh, it works in application that it transfers, uh, uh, and it, it transfers information on this fiber optic. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's basically plastic, but it's it's not plastic in the sense of of flat like this kind of plastic. I'm, I'm hoping they get to root canal soon. You know, <laughs> a, a good way for doing that. Maybe we should ask. Although I don't think they have teeth like us, but. <laughs> They, they, I don't know if work, they eat. I don't know if they have teeth. <laughs> well, that's not what Betty, uh, uh, Betty and Barney Hill say, right? Wasn't well, it? Oh, they were no. They the the aliens were interested in why uh, Barney's uh, teeth uh, were right. removable. Oh, <laughs> he had dentures. He had dentures. <laughs> why do I see a scene of aliens attack or something there? Like <laughs> pulling his teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> what? What is this? <laughs> <clears throat> um, so the so the to, to get back to our originally uh, original uh, startup here, we we spoke about Kenneth Arnold and the importance of his sighting, and the importance of the the attention that it drew to the sky, because th- these objects didn't have that much attention prior to this even well, he though he didn't seem to even he was thinking they were planes yeah it, so it, if you don't have a reference on that 
you know, we all have a reference of, oh, it's a UFO. Like, you, you know what that is. You heard about it. He had not at that point, I guess. You know, like, well, or, it, it, bring, it brings another point to like, this It doesn't chapter. sound like he, re, he felt that in the beginning from what you've read. Dr. J. Allen Hynek was brought into this case, okay, <laughs> to download false information. Okay, at the point where he was fr he first was still, engaged in the yes, um, right. before he was in the uh, the loop, he was he was he was given right information that made the Kenneth Arnold like a misinterpretation of the planet Venus, and uh, that he saw reflections off his cockpit window, and that. The speed that he he estimated between the mountains could not have been a thousand miles an hour, uh, you know. Uh, so he he gives all this cockamamie uh, background information, but ironically, as I said in last week's or the week before, Doctor J. Allen Hynek had a had a what do they call it, an epiphany, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and his whole feeling towards the the subject was given a different look and his uh, fund that he set up that ultimately led to the investigation by stanton t friedman on the majestic documents that are now worldwide and famous and it's so ironic that that dr heineck took a turnaround and uh, led to the uh, the blowing of this cover-up that's been going on uh, since the since the forties, and when you when you put all the pieces together, like I have, and a lot of other people that have uh, taken this subject uh, serious, uh, you, you see all the factors that that went into putting a cover up together. They had to employ, you know, uh, counterintelligence operations of the CIA, and uh, you know. For, for, for an object to, to have all this attention that doesn't, doesn't technically exist, uh, this is a weather balloon. You're making all this, these, these uh, changes and, and all this the secrecy surrounding a, a, a weather balloon. You know, I mean, it's amazing. And, and once we, wait, wait till we get into July and I, and I get into the nitty-gritty about the Roswell story and how they d try to destroy the – the witnesses in, in that case, I mean, they they had a major problem, and uh, and that's why the uh, the government had to take it upon themselves to bring the CIA into this uh, because they uh, were having a, a difficult time trying to calm the uh, the public because, <clears throat> as I mentioned in another episode in 1952. These objects actually were spotted over the White House and caused a real big uh, concern for the government. Yeah, <coughs> yeah that uh, could be seen as a little bit alarming. In the 52 <laughs> overflight, yeah, and that, and that also had a lot to do with the development of a more detailed operation uh, for these objects to be... Uh, retrieved and, and returned to uh, classified places. They didn't want this stuff to be uh, sitting around the uh, streets if it should come down. So they had international permission from uh, various governments to uh, mm -hmm. apprehend this material. And uh, on the basis of national security, uh, these these nations apparently uh, cooperated with this whole operation, and, and even though we have uh, different countries that that do report these sightings, the United States still has control over the out the ultimate, um, I guess the uh, the awareness uh, part. You know, as long as the the, the press is uh, suppressing this information and not giving it the uh, well, since we have our nose in everyone's business, yeah, I mean, yeah. we're kind of the world's police, unfortunately, in yeah. some ways. <laughs> and, and, and and you know, I, I can see how you know the the change has has started to occur, and that more attention is being given to the subject, 
And it's not just because the anniversary is returning. Seventy uh, seventy <laughs> seventy five years. <laughs> it's because of these pilots' reports that were uh, exposed on the TV and the radio and various uh, places on the internet, which gave it a lot more, uh, you know, attention and the and the attention that that was uh, shown by these pilots and their excitement. <clears throat> has been, you know, shown on my uh, my podcast uh, every time I, I start my podcast because you can never get tired of hearing the pilot's excitement in, in what they're witnessing. You know, it's, it's very difficult to 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 get excited and and to fake it when you're, especially if you're not an actor and you're just a you know you're just a pilot for the for the government. <clears throat> when you start getting excited by uh, things that you've been reported uh, to see, have reported to have seen, it, it just shows you that uh, they can't all be uh, faking it. Too many of these pilots have uh, reported a very similar thing over the years and decades. And um, Well, they, one consistency is how fast it came on his horizon, you know, like it, and then he saw a glimmer from the reflection and then, you know, but they came on all of a sudden. Yeah. It's always sudden when they enter. Well, not always, but when they leave, it's usually. Uh, nobody's always because well, who, who's uh, everybody's <laughs> not looking up in the sky. You know, I mean, it's uh, uh, people are looking up in the sky when when they see something that that, that catches their attention. But if, if there's nothing uh, there, if uh, you know, then nobody's looking up there. But a pilot who's flying around. He's got his eyes on everything because uh, he could run into these things. So when 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 Kenneth Arnold spotted these things, he uh, that was the last thing on his mind to be looking for. I mean, uh, when you see that uh, restaurant that you see in, in various photographs in uh, Seattle, that looks like a uh, spaceship up in the mm -hmm. uh, oh at the at the, the what you call it the UFO Center, I think it is or. Oh, you just mean that place where uh, and near Roswell? No, no, the one in Seattle, in Seattle, Washington, that restaurant that's up there in the sky. You always see it. Oh, they, right, 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 right. Sorry. That 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 was done in in honor of the uh, the story that that Kenneth Arnold uh, oh, brought to that. I didn't know that okay. Yeah, that's uh, and and sometimes on Fox News they have a a picture of the the reporter, and in the background is that that restaurant and i always laugh at myself yeah, they seem to like tucker right he's like the only journalist i see really he's got uh, the bite regularly and not that regular but every once in a while he he brings a ufo story and he brings you know elizondo or somebody mm -hmm. and uh he does keep coming back to it yeah he does and and uh the the funny thing is that because uh that he does it uh periodically he doesn't oversaturate the uh his news show with the same subject because then he would be looking like a, a, a UFO nut, yeah. you know, so <laughs> like us, you mean like us, you know, <laughs> so uh, he, he just does what he can and he, he does a good job. You know, he, he's got the interest. I, I would like to talk to him myself and uh, wake him up a little more. And then he, they would, then he would really be uh, fascinated with it. <laughs> but uh, eventually I'll, I'll get a hold of him. Um, right now I'm trying to reach, um, someone else in uh, New <laughs> couple, Mexico, a couple of folks, yeah, a couple of folks that I've, I've, uh, crossed paths with over the years, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's been, uh, an effort over the years. People say, Oh, why don't you write a book? And I say, well, I have a lot more fun in, in talking about it because a yeah. book, uh, I got a lot of people that write the same thing and they say, uh, some mostly the same thing that I say in different ways, but when I, when I talk uh, to people, I, I try to get their reaction and, and what they what they think is the truth and what they they assume is the truth. And uh, when, when I tell them that there's, uh, there's lies being told to the American public and uh, I point out certain ways to double check on this, uh, is this the, yeah. this is still <laughs> at the right volume. Yeah. You know, one of the best ones I, I really focus on is when President Reagan gave his speech at the uh, UN. And mm -hmm. uh, he speaks uh, uh, directly about a threat from the outer space. Uh, 
and how we would uh, all come together and uh, unite. I find that a real interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Statement from the <laughs> it, president. How, how, what would we do in the face of an alien encounter? Yeah, would would we just put our hands up and say we surrender, or would we would we fight back? And then why did he create a uh, strategic defense initiative to set up a uh, protective missile system for uh, outside attack from the Soviets? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably easier to control ourselves than powers that we don't know mm -hmm. the full extent of. But uh, we'll see. There's, there's, there's a big budget to this stuff these days. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of it you know, is... Defense is getting bigger when you talk about outer space now. Yeah, it falls under the heading of black budget. Yeah, right. And well, the black budget is yeah, well, not for your eyes only. That's another thing. But We, um, we have covered this uh, subject in detail. That's about the time we budgeted for this topic today. Yeah, I can <laughs> I can imagine how, how much they budgeted uh, the, 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 the future budget for this uh, subject. Because they're still trying to keep it quiet. Yeah, we got two clips out of the Pentagon after 75 years. Thank you. But, you know, we know there's a, some more there. Yeah, there's, there's some more. More BS to be uh, put out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Big Chief uh, Thunderlung, thank you for coming through the, the chat room today on the Podbean. And the um, he said, uh, add in inflation. Yeah, just add inflation. Yeah. <laughs> you too, Chris Wilson. Big shout out. And also, uh, Rock, Raccoon, thank you for coming through again. And uh, number six, that is. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So we will see you guys next week, though. Uh, sorry, we missed a week. Sometimes we get a little busy. And, yeah. Uh, there is a lot going on. A lot of current events we'll probably talk about. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, in the next couple of weeks yes, as well. Yes, definitely going to cover the uh, Roswell story. Going on. Mm -hmm. We'll see. And don't forget to use your eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep an open mind. Very, very important. But all of our followers do, Rob. That's they right. Do. That's why they come here. That's why you come here. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Ciao. Why are UFOs top secret?